Hallelujah. We worship you, Jesus. All the glory, all the honor, all the praise. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. truly worthy of all the honor and all the praise. Amen. Amen. I'm so thankful uh, to feel what we feel today. And I will tell you that it makes a dramatic improvement whenever we're willing to worship and we're willing to praise and step out and lift up his name and give glory and honor to him. Amen. Jeff Arnold used to say, you don't get any points for being a statue. Amen. It's pretty true. You, you, can't, you can't get out of it if you don't put into it. Amen. So when you respond to what you feel and you begin to praise and worship God, things happen. Amen. And uh, it's good to be able to feel that presence, feel his anointing, feel his blessing in our lives. Amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles, if you would, I'd like for you to turn with me. I won't keep you standing for all the scriptures today, but I want you to turn with me to Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8. I know some of you have told me, Pastor, it's cold in the back of the sanctuary. So it's one of those things, and I'm just, this is just a public service announcement, PSA right here. If you are just prone to you know being cold a lot then you want to sit in the front because it's not cold up here if you are hot-blooded you know uh, you still want to sit up here but you know when you're in the back you are going to probably be cold because those vents blow right out of there and it's freezing cold and it is nice and cold now I will tell you this we're not apologizing for that because we want to set the atmosphere for those who want to worship. If you are standing still, you will be colder. But if you, even if you're sitting in the back, if you'll start moving around, lifting up your hands, dancing around a little bit, jump up and down, I'm telling you, you'll feel not just a physical warmth come over you, but you will feel the, the spiritual warmth of the Holy Ghost flood over your body. Amen. 
Amen. Mark chapter 8, and we are looking at verse 36, and we'll read verse 36 through 38. I do have a little bit of a ring, and I'm not sure where it's, it's, it's ringing around somewhere. But uh, let's read chapter 8, verses 36 through 38. In the King James, it says this, For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Verse 37 is what we will be taking the text of our this whole series from. And it, it's this, Jesus said, Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Verse 38, Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Amen. Thank you for being here today with us. Thank you for watching us online. And uh, thank you for worshiping today. I feel like God wants to speak to us. Uh, today's going to be a little different. I, I don't know. A lot of times I know exactly how everything's going to end up. And I, you know, we're, we're, we're working for that. I don't necessarily know how this is going to end today. I'm not sure what all is going to be said today. I just want God to lead us. So would you just bow your heads and ask God to lead us today? Lord, we pray, God, that you would speak your word, God, into our hearts today. We pray, God, that we would be ready to receive what you have for us. And, God, that we would open up our hearts to your word. And, Lord, to whatever direction that you want to give us from your word today. Help us, God, not to see it or hear it as the words of man, but to hear it as your words, God. That your words would come and they would be alive in our life today. And, God, we would give you the praise and the glory for all these things in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated and I will remain standing. Jesus tells us that the greatest commandment is to love God with all of our heart and our soul and our mind and our strength, right? And our neighbor as ourselves. That's what he says. The second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. And you know that this is a church where love is the answer. Amen? Uh, we don't just say it, we try to live it. We're, we're not just about a good slogan, we want to try to live that, and so... Uh, that is our aim, that is our slogan, that is our motto, and hopefully that will, you will see that is our church philosophy. That's, that's the, just the way we approach life. And that means that when we say love is the answer, that means that we not only try to love God, but the scripture says to love your neighbor as yourself, and we have discovered that a lot of people don't like themselves, and so we try to help people understand that God loves them. And, and that he sees them in a completely different light than what they see themselves. And I, I would just say, uh, for those of you that are here and you heard us sing and you sang with us about the reckless love of God, there is no doubt in my mind that God loves me. There is no doubt in my mind that God, amen, has given his life for me and he wanted to save me. And because I'm sure of that and I'm confident of that, I'm trying to help other people see, hey, God loves you. God wants you. God chose you. God handpicked you. His reckless love keeps on going. Even when we fail, even when we make mistakes, even when we're not perfect, He still loves us. And you don't have to be good enough 
to merit the love of God. You don't have to be athletic enough. You don't have to be pretty enough or handsome enough. You don't have to have enough money. You don't have to be one of the cool kids. Man, I'm thankful for that. Because he loves you. He loves you, and he loves you so much. you you got to understand this. He loves you more than just, and we think about love, and we think these fuzzy feel-good feelings, you know. That it's, oh, this is, oh, this is love. I'm in love. I fell in love. Love is so wonderful. And, and I was told, I'm, I, I don't know if it was Thursday night that we were talking, having some discussion, and I brought up love. And, and our, even our King's kids understand that there's a difference between that ooey-gooey feel-good love. Some of you got to quiz your kids and find out if they knew the difference between God's love and just that ooey, gooey, gushy, you know, ooh, I love them. <laughs> and, and we know that there's a difference. So let, let me just kind of hone in on that for a second. So he loves me. There may be things that I do that anger him. There may be things that I do that disappoint him, but still he loves me. And, and so because of his love and because I understand and I can comprehend at least just a little bit that he loves me, then I can respond to that love. And because I can respond to that love, because I understand that he loves me and I respond to his love, his love fills my life. And because his love fills my life, then I'm able to love other people. I'm able to love people. I'm going to say it one more time. I'm able to love because of His love. I'm able to love others. Without His love, there are some people that I would have a really hard time. You're okay with loving everybody in here, but how about that, you know, that Islamic terrorist? Do you love them? How about that, that person that cut in front of you in the line and you've been waiting there for 20 minutes? Do you, do you love them? Okay, I'm just kind of throwing that stuff out there just so we understand there's a difference between feeling in love and actually loving. So Jesus makes this command and, and, he, and he talks about uh, what it means to be a disciple talks about what it means to follow Him and how our relationship with God can affect every area of our life. We, don't, we compartmentalize. We put God in our Sunday-only box or our uh, once-a-month box or our Christmas and Easter-only box, but he, he wants to be so much more than that. And so the reason that we want to look into this over the next few weeks is because our soul is the most important thing in our lives. And Jesus said it, he said, what would you give in exchange for your soul? Understanding that this is the most important thing that we could discuss, he said, what would you give in exchange for your soul? If we concern ourselves with proper soul activity, our heart will have no room for idols. Our soul will dedicate all of our decisions to giving glory to God and our mind will stay centered on Jesus Christ. Our strength will be put to use showing charity to our community and loving others the way that Jesus has loved us. 
And so I would say to you today, we have to look into our soul and we have to find out, is it love? Mark chapter 12, and I read out of the King James verse 28 through 34, one of the scribes came and having heard them reasoning together, perceiving that he had answered them well, asked him, which is the first commandment of all? And Jesus answered him, the first of all the commandment is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. That is, there it is. You want to know? That's it. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. I'm just, I could just stop right there. Let, you know, musicians come, altar call, because most of us, we aren't even doing that. And so that's kind of why we need to look into our soul and see what kind of activity is going on. And, and he said, this is the, the first commandment. Now, it's hard for us to proclaim Christianity, and it's hard for us to proclaim that we are Christians if we haven't even kept the first commandment. I'm, I'm, I know this is not real popular. I told you I don't know how this is going to go. Uh, but but we have to we have to look at this because if we if we can get to this part we we with all of our heart with all of our soul with all of our mind and with all of our strength that doesn't leave a whole lot of room that that's not leaving much out do you, do you understand what I'm saying I I I struggle sometimes. And I say, God, I don't know how to love you like that. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I don't know how to love you like that. And so this is why we're looking into this. He says, the second then is like this. It's namely this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. And so he's basically saying it, it's all in this simple two commands. The scribe said unto him, Well, Master, thou hast said the truth, for there is one God, and there is none other but he. Man, what a revelation. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding, with all the soul and with all the strength, and to love his neighbor as himself is more than all burnt, whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. Doesn't matter how much I give, how much I do. If, if it's not out of love... And when Jesus saw that he answered discreetly, he said unto him, Thou art not far from the kingdom of God. <laughs> he said, you, You're starting to figure it out. When everything that you do is motivated by love. Jesus said, When you figure that out, you're not very far from the kingdom of God. Jesus made it very clear, and he, he didn't mince words. And, and, and once he said this, the Scripture said, no man durst, the, they, they asked him any more questions. They didn't ask him any questions. They were like, oh, okay, we're done. Because he said, look, 
What is the most important? All your burnt offerings, all your sacrifices, which they had to do in order to be in fellowship with their community and their religious group that they were a part of. And, and Jesus said, that's, that's great, but, but really it's love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. These are the two. There's none greater than those two. That's it. And he said, yeah, that's it. That's right. And he said, that's more important than everything else that I do. And Jesus said, well, that's right, because love is the key. Love is the key. Love is the key. It's the key that unlocks the door. Amen. It's the key to our spiritual lives, and we miss it because we, we sometimes we get it out of order. We, we start thinking that uh, it's about rules and regulations, and, and you guys have heard me tell the story about when I married my wife, and I, I wanted to know what it took to make her happy. You, you remember that story? I said, please, would you please make me a list? Would you please just make me a list? I need a list that I can check off. And she said, no. I thought then, oh, she's just being really sweet and, you know, she just, she loves me and she's not going to do that. That would, you know, kind of legalize our love. I've come to find out it wasn't that at all. The truth is, those things change. <laughs> so, what happened was she knew those things would change, so she wasn't going to give me a list that was going to be soon outdated. Now, I would say that I have tried my very best um, 99 times out of 100. There's been one or two times that I probably have been like, mm. but I've tried my best to figure out those things that please her and that displease her. Because in every area of my life, I have, I have a partner. We're on a team. We do stuff together. And I want her to be pleased in me. I want her to be happy with me. That's a main concern for me. And, and so uh, one of the things that I have kind of drawn this correlation to is how we live our spiritual lives. I did, I do what I do, and I did what I did, and I will keep doing what I am doing because I love her. I love her, and I want her to continue to be happy and be pleased with me, with me. and, and, and I, I read in the scripture, what is a man profited if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for soul? Our highest calling as Christians is to learn to love God in every part of our lives. That's the highest calling. That's it. I mean, if you could just hear anything that would sum up everything about living for God, it would be that. With every part of me. Every part. But the only way that that is possible is love. In Matthew's account of this exchange, Jesus warns against how the Pharisees were, were not treating his commandment with high priority. And uh, the, the Matthew 23, 25, and 26 said, They washed the outside of the cup, but they, the inside's still dirty. 
so that they do all the right things, but it's not for the right reasons. I mean, I mean, we're accomplishing, you know, A, B, C, and D, but, but the reason why A, B, C, and D are getting done is not, it's not good. And he says they're, st- they're washing the outside, but the inside's still dirty. And so when we are not focused on loving God and doing everything out of love, then, you know, we're going we're gonna to find out that we're, there's something dirty on the inside. They wash the outside of the cup. When we focus on loving God, when we focus on love, and I, I am committed. I am not just in fuzzy feel good love with Jesus, but I, I love him. I am committed to him. I have made the decision to, to submit and surrender all of my life to him. And we work on then cleaning the inside of the cup. All the rest will take care of itself. I want to love him, and I want to be clean on the inside. I want to love him, and I want everything, every motive, every action, every reaction, every word, every behavior, I want it to be motivated by purity and love. Because... If what's on the inside is love, and I'm worried about cleaning up and, and keeping the inside pure and clean, the outside will take care of itself. But a lot of people, they just say, well, you know, I just don't have that conviction. You know, it's kind of, it's kind of convenient how some people just don't have that conviction. They're not praying. They're not seeking after God. They're not, they're, they're not trying to clean the inside. They're trying to see how much they can get away with and still go to heaven. I'm going to try to, and I know, again, I know this is different. I'm not shouting and screaming a lot today. But when you receive the Holy Ghost and you're baptized in Jesus' name, that doesn't mean that you will never again have to pay, pay attention to Jesus Christ or be concerned with what He is concerned with in your life. That, that would never work in a marriage. I mean, yeah, you became one at the altar when you said, I do. But that doesn't mean that you automatically knew what would make that marriage work for the long run. You know, and I I mentioned it on Thursday night about how, you know, these these young lovers that come together and they get married and everything's so blissful and, you know, they're frolicking in the fields and just everything's just, oh, this is so wonderful. We love each other and we're completing each other's sentences and we know everything about each other. And I mean, they just like, they make you sick. (laughs) You're like, really? But... They think they've got it all figured out, and they think they, they know, uh, you know, <clears throat> everything's going to be fine, everything's going to be great, but what they come to realize after a couple years is that love and marriage is a lifetime of learning that follows our commitment. I made a commitment to my wife, right? She made a commitment to me. We said I do, and that I do, you know, uh, was our promise to each other. And our promise was, I love you, and I'm going to continue to love you, and we go through the vows in sickness and in health and poverty and wealth and good that may lighten our days and the bad that may, whatever, you know. I can't even, can't even right now. 
But we make these commitments to each other, you know, and you got these sweet, wonderful, and I'm not knocking marriage. Please, don't, under, don't misunderstand. But we have these sweet young people, and they're standing there holding hands, and I'm standing behind them, and they're making a commitment, and they say I do. How weird would it be if after that, the husband goes out, or the wife goes out, and, and uh, they just do whatever they want. I mean, the wife, she keeps going out with her friends, hanging out with her pals. She doesn't even sleep at their house most of the time. She just does whatever. Dinner time, she's not there. When it's time for them to, you know, go do something together, uh, she just decides, eh, I got other things. I'd rather spend the time with my friends. When it's time for them to be close and intimate, she says, you know, I'm, I just, I don't feel like it. I, I think that we could, you know, we, 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 we can talk about it another time, another week. Let's, let's, let's put it off a little bit later. And, and so, you know, they, they have these times together and and they may have a good time every once in a while. Every once in a while, she'll come back and she'll, she'll say, oh, this feels so good. You make me feel so safe and so wonderful and so nice. This, is, this feels great. And he's like, well, good. So you're going you're gonna to stay here tonight? No, I'm going I'm to go back over to my friends. That wouldn't work in a marriage. That, that wouldn't work in a relationship where two people had made a commitment to love each other and to stick together no matter what happened. When you were baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost, you came in covenant with Jesus Christ. And so what happened then is he promised to love you. He promised to provide for you, to take care of you. And he wants to spend time with you. He wants to have you in His presence. He wants to be in your presence. He wants to be invited in. He wants to feel welcome around you. But how many of us find ourselves too busy for Him? We've got so many things going on, and, you know, it's life. And, we, you know, Jesus, we will, next month, we'll, we'll get together. When it's dinner time... Food's on the table. They're supposed to be here, but they just can't make it. Pastor, you're 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 kind of scaring me. Well, I you know, I'm kind of scared of this myself. If if truth is being told, I I'm going to stand before him someday. I won't be able to avoid that. I won't be able to have something going on at that time. There, there won't be any juniors ball games that can get me out of that. There won't be any Sally's recitals that I'll be able to, oh, well, you know, I, I had to be at Sally's recital. No, I will stand. I'll stand before him. And then it's not going to be as, as relationship friendly as it is right now. Someday I'll stand before him, and, and then everything that I've ever done, said, thought, it's all going to be kind of pulled up. And then my motives are going to be revealed. I won't be able to hide it. And so if it wasn't about love, Paul said, 
if, it, if it's not love, then it's just a sounding brass, tinkling cymbal. None of it really matters. Whatever I do, if I do it for you, if I do it for God, uh, that's all, you know, it's ministry, that's great. But if it's not motivated by love, it means nothing. Soul activity is really about, it's really about us giving our entire selves to God. When you were filled with the Holy Ghost and baptized in Jesus' name, what it is, this is, okay, and some people, the older Christians, they used to call it sanctification. I can explain to you what that means, but let me just keep it on a real base level for you here, okay? This is, this is it. It's basically letting what happened to you when you received the Holy Ghost, what happened to your mind, what happened to your heart, it is letting it transfer to the rest of your life. You know that overwhelming love, that incredible bubbly feeling that I got to hug everybody, I got to love everybody? It's letting that feeling translate into every area of your life. Because there's power that comes upon you, there's love that comes upon you, there's joy and peace that comes upon you. And, and, and so for some people it becomes just my ticket to escape hell. And then we decide we're going to do whatever we want to do. It's okay. That wouldn't work in a marriage. That wouldn't work in a friendship. That would not work in a, any sound relationship. So how do we think that would work with God? You say, well, pastor, that's, you know, that's kind of hard for me to listen to. That's kind of hard for me to take. It should be hard for all of us. Because if we're truly living like Jesus said... This is, this is it. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. That's it. That means if I'm not doing that, then something is wrong. Something inside of me is, is, is awry. It, it, it's like, why do people... I, I, my wife, I, I love her. I'm sorry that I'm using our marriage. I hope that doesn't mess with you too much. But what would it be like if I said, honey, you know, I just want you to know you're the most important woman in my life. I have a few others, but you're the most important. Now, if, if you say, I want you here with me tonight, then I'll be here with you. But if you, don't, if you don't care and you don't necessarily, it, I, I don't have to be here tonight. I have some other women that I, I could, but you're the most important. You get preference. You get priority, okay? Some of you are laughing because you know I would be dead. Like they would just have my funeral. That's it. But think about it. Think about what we do with him. Now, Jesus, you are the most important in my life. And if you really want me to do something, I want you to write it in the sky. Let me know. I mean, let it be a big audible voice. Let there be a big boom. And then smoke. And then let it clear and let it be visible words. And then I will know for sure that that's what you want. You, you know, Jesus, I'm just going to say this. You're the most important God in my life. I have a few other little ones. 
But they're, they're nothing compared to you. I mean, my sports fetish, it's nothing compared to my shopping habits, but it's nothing, you know. Really, God, if you say, you know, if you big, big boom in heaven and, I, and I'll follow, if that's what you want, I, I, don't, I won't put any other gods before you. I'll keep them all subservient to you. I just want to keep them there. My kids, you know, my kids are really important to me, God, and they've become my idol. This is one of those messages that you just, you just have to just soak it in, think about it. Nobody's shouting or swinging from anything. And, and you know what? This is not one of those messages that they're going to ask me to come preach a general conference. It's just not going to happen. Because this is like for people, for us, you know, just regular people who have some little G-gods hanging around in our life. It's kind of offensive. I, you know, I, I, wish, I wish I could just move on from this. I wish, Pastor, you would just tell me about how much God loves me. I, I am. I am. And I am telling you that He is jealous for you. I'm telling you that He wants to be not a God in your life or the most important God. He wants to be the only God in your life. When he said, thou shalt have no other gods before me, it wasn't like you can have other gods, just don't put them before me. It was, I don't want you having any other gods in your life. It's very easy for us to celebrate what we're really passionate about, you know. Uh, what's the most important thing in the life of a Christian, you know? We, we, some people feel drawn to missions. Some people feel drawn to prayer for healing. Some people to evangelism. Some people for fellowship. But none of those should be the number one priority of a Christian. Well, I'm good at this or I'm good at that. That's great, but that's not the number one priority for a Christian. Jesus tells us to love God with everything. That's got to be the first priority. And if that's not taken care of, then I need to take care of that first. If there's something wrong in my relationship with God, I can feel it, I know it, right? I, can, I can sense it right now as the preacher's preaching because the Word of God's coming forth and God's convicting me. It's not the preacher, Pastor AJ is not making me mad, that is conviction. You, you can get mad at me if you want, but you're misled. The Word of God is coming forth. You hear the preaching. Jesus is saying, I want you to love me. I want you to love me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You profess to be Christian. I want you to love me with everything, and then you'll have the first commandment. And some of us are like, I wish pastor would just move on, because that's uncomfortable. And Jesus says, but that's the foundation. That's it. That's the key. If we don't have that, we can't move on from there. Every other passion in our life should flow naturally from our love for God. You know, sometimes you ask people, why are you doing that? Why do you do what you do? If it's not be because I love God and He has enabled me to do this, He wants me to do this, I feel like I need to do this. This is what I'm supposed to do. Becoming a Christian means... That I'm handing over every aspect of my life to Jesus for Him to transform it. 
let's be honest, it's jacked up. It's messed up. He, he's got to transform it. If he doesn't transform it, I will fall back into some of the stuff that I came out of. You know why some people quit coming to church? You, you want to know? It's not, contrary to what people think, I, you know, Pastor, you run people off. Somebody told me that one time. You run people off. It's not because the pastor runs people off. You, you know, you can't come unless the Spirit leads you. If the Spirit led you, how's the pastor going to run you off? I want to help you today. This is why people leave the church. This is why people leave the church. Because they start treating their relationship with God like a bad relationship. Now, my wife and I, we spend a lot of time together. But what if I was never available to her? What if she was calling me and I was never answering? She's texting, but I'm not texting back. She says, honey, I love you. The grass is really getting high. Would you mind getting the grass cut? And I say to her, can't you find somebody else? I'm, I'm, I'm really busy doing what I want to do. Could, could you find somebody to just, you know, I'll, I'll even be willing to pay. When all the time what she was wanting was not necessarily a person to cut the grass. She wanted me. But that's why people leave church. Because God's not looking for just a person he wants you. Look at your neighbor and tell him, say, it's not just anybody. He wants you. He wants you. He wants you. And so, because he wants you, and you don't have time, and we, we live our lives like he's not important, there gets to be a tension, is the best way to put it. Y'all know what I'm talking about. There gets to be a tension. You didn't, you didn't even want to cut the grass for me? Okay, all right. Well, would you, mind, would you mind doing this? Could we go here together? I don't have time to go there right now. I'm, I've got to go hang out with my buddies. I just don't have time. Maybe next week we can try to do that. And then next week comes and I'm like, you know, I, don't, I still don't have time. Maybe in a week or two. This, I know, this is not my typical preaching, and, I'm, I, and I, I, I promise you, I, I, I don't even know some of the stuff that is, is going to be said because God's putting it on my heart to say. But if I treated my wife like that, y'all would have a really bad example to follow here as your pastor. Because we would not have a marriage. We would have issues. We'd have World War III. That's what we would have. And there would be 
constant tension between us. And we would, the tension would get to the place where we wouldn't even want to be around each other at all anymore because she wouldn't feel loved and I wouldn't feel respected and we'd push each other away. And what happens when we act like that in our relationship with God is we get to the place where God's, He's loving on us, He's calling, He wants to be with us and we're like, God, we don't have time. No, I'm sorry. He's like, I want you to, could, could you do this for me? Not that He couldn't do it Himself, He just wants, He just wants you. And whenever you respond with, isn't there somebody else in the church that can do that? Somebody said, you know, what was, what was the best, they asked me, what was the best part of your training to become a pastor? And I said, well, when I was about 12 years old, I started cutting the grass for the church. Started, I, actually, I wasn't allowed to cut the grass. I was allowed to do the weed eating. <laughs> woo I did the weed eating, and I picked up the sticks, and I picked up the trash. That's, that was part of my training. And then, guess what? As I, as I got older, I got to do more. Um, when I was really young, I started just by going around with my pastor's wife and watering all the plants. I just thought that's what you did. I love God, and I love my church, and I just thought that's what you did. It wasn't until I became an adult and a pastor that I found out that people don't think that way at all. And it's like pulling teeth sometimes when God's like, hey, I want somebody, and they're like, okay, not me. And, and so as we look at what Jesus says here, he says it's loving the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. Jesus says love God with everything. That's the most important thing. Everything should flow from that. So what is he saying? He's saying with him, as with my wife, it's all or nothing. I don't, I don't have any women on the side. It's just not acceptable. It's, it's not going to happen. I can either have them or I can have her. And I choose her. Are you with me? So God's saying, you can either have that or you can have me. I'm still going to love you. I'm still going to be here. But you got to make a choice. It's either that or me. And so we have to be transformed. When we, uh, I'm getting ready to sell my house and we're, we're, we have it on the market. Uh, but how weird would it be if uh, I said, you know what, we're selling everything. You have the house, you can have the yard, you can have it, except for one closet in the basement. That's the closet that I'm keeping, okay? And, and sometimes we think about, you know, God, um, you can have the living room and you can have the bedroom, you can have the kitchen, but you're not having the family room. No, family room is mine. The yard's mine. You can have these other parts. And we kind of, we, we rent space to Jesus. We, we're not giving him the whole house. Oh, no. Oh, can you imagine what he would do if he had the whole house? He would tear stuff up. I mean, stuff would just get all messy. It wouldn't be the way that I like it at all. Well, I'm talking to somebody here. I don't, I don't know who it is. 
But if you turn the whole house over to him, yeah, it's going to look like him. He's going to make it look like what he wants it to look like. He's going to do what he wants to do. He's going to put his touches on it. Ooh-wee! Wouldn't that be nice? Some of you are like, ah, no, I don't, I'm good. I like it like I like it. I don't want to rent Jesus a room. I don't want to give him a little bit of space, but get, get, just get a little bit of a, a compartment or two in my life here. Jesus, you can have Sunday mornings, and you can have Thursday nights, but keep your grubby paws off my finances. Oh, no. I, I mean, I'm just saying. God's not a renter. He's not leasing space. He's the owner. Whenever I said, God, I don't want anything else in my life to be more important than you. You are the most important thing. I forsake everything else. God, you become the owner of my life. You lead and guide my life. It was not a conditional promise. What areas of our life need to be examined to see if we're operating out of love? What do we need to do today? Here's the deal. Some of you are going to go away from this because you are a little bit on the offended side right now and you think, Pastor, you don't really need to talk to me about this. I do love Jesus. Okay, stay with me. Nobody can regulate your love. This pastor up here uh, that's, that's here with you today, uh, he cannot, I cannot regulate you into loving God more. There's nothing that I can do that will make you love God more. Now, do I pray that way? Oh, absolutely. I pray, God, do whatever it takes. Lord, let them feel your, your presence. Let them feel your power. Let them feel your love. Let it motivate them to love you even more. But how do you know if you are giving more attention to your idols than you are to Jesus and what he wants for your life? How do you know? How do you know that you love God? You see it all over the Bible. Love for God or love for idols. It's made visible by obedience or disobedience to God. We see Cain and Abel in Genesis 4. Same same deal. We see Abraham and Isaac in Genesis 22. We see Reuben and Bilhah. In Genesis 35, we see Joseph with Potiphar's wife in Genesis 39. We see David with Saul in the cave in 1 Samuel 24. David with Bathsheba in 2 Samuel chapter 11. Judas with silver in Matthew 26. Peter with his denials in John chapter 18. We see Peter with the Sanhedrin in Acts chapter 4. And Ananias and Sapphira with others' admiration in Acts chapter 5. And Demas with Thessalonica in 2 Timothy chapter 4. Just to name a few. It's all over. But how do we know if we really love Jesus? By what we consistently, not perfectly, because none of us are perfect, but by what we consistently do and don't do. All lovers of Jesus keenly know that they do not love Him perfectly. There is no way to do that. We all stumble in many ways. James 3 verse 2 tells us that. And if we say that we have no sin, guess what? The truth is not in us, John, 1 John 1, 8. We're deceiving ourselves. But if we say that we have fellowship 
With Jesus, while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 6. So it comes full circle. We know what love is by what love does. If I said, honey, I love you, but I am not cutting the grass for you. She would hear, eh, he doesn't really love me. If she asked me to go with her and I said, honey, I love you, but I am not taking the time to go with you right now. She would hear, "Mm, he says he loves me, but I can't trust him. So when we say, Jesus, I love you. And then he says, okay, awesome. Why aren't you doing my word? Why are you living in disobedience to my word? We, we've got to understand this. We, we, we're not perfect. Nobody's going to be perfect. We're all going to make mistakes. But where is our focus centered? Is it on loving God? Are we doing conscious disobedience to Him? Some of us, it, it's kind of helping us understand today, I am living in conscious disobedience to what God is saying in my life. And if you are, guess what? There's something wrong with the love quotient in your life. That, that needs to be revisited because we know what love is by what love does. Our faith empowered obedience in public and in private places is the God-designed evidence of our love. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my words. By this will all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. It's got to be love. Love is the key. And if love is not the key in your walk with God, you are locked up. So what are your actions? What are your behaviors? What are they saying about your relationship with God? I I love each and every one of you, and I'm not just saying that. I'm showing it. I'm showing it by what I'm preaching to you today. Amen? Jesus went to the cross, and He didn't just say, I love you. He showed us, I love you. Jesus gave His life for us, and He said, look, I'm not asking you to go to the cross. I'm just asking you to crucify your carnal desires that are going to pull you away from me. Jesus didn't ask us to lay down our physical life. He just said, I want you to deny yourself some things and take up your cross. That's how I'm going to know that you love me. Would you stand with me today? Love is the key. It's the key. I know we say it's the answer. It's the key. It's, it's the center. It's the focus. It's got to be everything. And, and I, I cannot, I said it just a minute ago, I cannot regulate you into loving God more. I, there's nothing. I'm not going to come up with a program and it's going to be how to love God more. Check these boxes. That's, it's just not going to work that way. The only thing I can do is I can appeal to you today to look into your heart, look into your soul, and ask yourself, am I obedient to everything He's asked of me? 
Pastor, I would really like to do that. I'd really like to be obedient, but you don't understand. I've got this issue. I've got this problem. And if it comes out and people know, and can you, can you just with me just for a second, can you build a relationship without trust? No. It's hard for people to hear what you say if they don't trust you. That's why marriages go awry. That's why relationships go bad. That's why people get fired, because they lose trust. In our relationship with God, we can say what we want. We can, we can say things all day long, and we can profess all the Christianity and all the love for Jesus that we want. But he said, he said, not this pastor, he said, we're going to know them by their fruit. We're going to understand by their actions, by how they live their life, if they really love or not. I would submit to you today that I said it last Sunday, this church needs to be a worshiping church. We need to be a praising church. We need to be, I mean, if we're, if we're calling ourselves apostolic Pentecostals, we should not represent I'm going to just stop that statement right there. You know the, the, the finale. But we can't call ourselves Pentecostal and not act Pentecostal. Amen? A while back, I, I met somebody um, in a coffee shop and... Uh, it's going to sound really bad. But um, he was sitting over like two tables away from me. And I promise you, and I'm not trying to be weird or creepy, but this guy was flirting like majorly. He flirted with the, the people behind the counter. When women would walk in, he would flirt with them, whatever. I was sitting there, he was sitting there, and... And I'll, I'll, I can't forget this because I was just like, wow, okay. Now, I'm a friendly guy. Don't get me wrong. I'm friendly with everybody. But I, this was not just, just friendly. This was a little bit more than friendly. And So long story short, we end up getting into a conversation. And I, I said, uh, he said, so what do you do? And I said, well, I'm, I'm, I'm a preacher. And... Uh, that usually ends the conversation, by the way. Uh, but I said, I'm a preacher, and, and I said, I'm married. I have, I have three awesome kids, and started telling him a little bit about my kids. And, and he said, oh, he said, you know, I'm married too. I love my wife. And I wanted to say, hey, buddy, I was sitting a couple tables over. I question your love for your wife. Because you're not acting married. And then, I didn't say it. And I'm glad I didn't. Because then God kind of convicted me. And he said, are you acting like you're in a relationship with me? So I'm examining myself today. And I'm examining myself as we go through the series. And I'm saying, God... Can people see 
that love? Because it doesn't matter what I say. It doesn't matter how good I preach, what we sing, how great our programs or our systems are. That doesn't matter. All that matters is when people see me, do they say, wow, that guy really loves God. I, I can tell by the way he acts, by the way he treats people, by the way he does what he does. He, he, there's something different about him. And you know what's awesome about that is that's exactly the witness that Jesus is looking for. Because that amazing love is what turns people on to Jesus. They're amazed that you can love a God that you can't physically touch. They're amazed that you can live a life of love and, and obey His Word. And, and they're amazed because they can't understand it. They've regulated it to just some good book somewhere on a shelf. But you say, no, it's alive. And His principles are living. And, and they're so powerful if you just love Him and you'll respond to His love. There's so much He can do in your life. So today, I, I just I bring it to a close. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I ask you today, what are your actions and behaviors saying about your love? You, you might not be able to say that. You might not know because you say, well, I don't know what people would perceive me as. Let me just ask you this question then. Are you living in obedience or disobedience to God and His Word in your life? If you're in disobedience, there are some things that you can change today. Listen to me for just a second. I've told you the story, I don't know how many times, it's become so famous that some people actually tell it back to me. When I first got married, I had a lot of friends that were females. You know this story. If you've heard it before a hundred times, I'm sorry. For those of you that haven't heard it. A few particular ones, they, when they would see me, they would come up and they would give me a hug. And I'm just a friendly person. I wasn't really thinking anything about it, but they would come up and hug me. And my wife would get so frustrated. And she would tell me later, why did you let them hug you? I don't like it when you let them hug you. Uh, honey, what am I supposed to do? Do you want me to just be rude and, you know, offensive? She's like, no, just stick out your hand. I never thought about that. Guess I'm not that bright. And I started doing that. And I've done that ever since, especially for the ones that she's notified me and put me on notice. That one and that one and that one. Those are the ones. I want you to stick your hand out. But if, let me, let me just change the scenario around a little bit. What if I didn't? I still love you, honey. Just because I hug them, it doesn't mean anything. I still love you. I'm going home with you tonight. I buy you stuff. There'd still be a problem. And the problem is, I'm not concerned with what she really wants. I'm not concerned with what she really likes. 
And I can't inconvenience myself enough to alter my life. Wouldn't work. Wouldn't work. We, 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 we might have a marriage, but we definitely have some trust issues. What is it? What are those little things that God's asked you to change and to do some things different and to let some things go and pick some things up? And you say, eh, I can still love God and go to church and miss hell and, and I'll still be okay. You're fooling yourself. There's trust issues in your relationship and that's what needs to be addressed. So today, I don't know how, I don't know what you want to do. I don't know if you want to kneel where you are. I, I don't know if you want to come to this altar. But I wonder if you just kind of look into your soul for a moment and say, God, help me to see anything that I'm living in disobedience to you right now. If there's any area of my life that I'm in disobedience, any, any, any way that I'm displeasing you, I want to know about it. And I want to change those things about me. I want you to help me be transformed. I can do this, God, not by, not by my own might or by my power, but by your spirit and by your word, I can be transformed. So this altar's open. It's completely up to you how you want to respond today. But I just challenge you to respond and let God know, God, I love you. And I want to make things right. If we've got trust issues, if we've got issues in our relationship, let, 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 me, let me make things right today. And let's do that. You don't have to drag a bull or a goat or anything and sacrifice it today. You just have to drag your carcass up here and say, God, help me. I'm putting myself on the altar today. I'm putting myself on the altar today. God, I need to make things right with you.